It's the saint. No, it's the Pope. No, it's Billy Graham. No, it's Super Christian. Come, Bible girl. We just got saved and we're fresh out of the baptistry. And we're on a quest to survive the world and make it to heaven. And you, young one, are fortunate to learn from me by becoming my sidekick. And no, I'm so excited. Like, holy acolyte. And I've got my Bible. And uh, well, we're on don't worry about that right now. Because I am super Christian. <laughs> and I know what I'm doing. Now follow me. And the next stop is the Golden Streets of Heaven. Oh, I'm so lucky. Super Christian's here. He will help me. He will? Holy opportunity. We get the chance to help someone. We should... We should leave. We gotta get to heaven, remember? We can't be late. God's waiting on us. Okay, you could at least give him your cape. It's so cold outside. Give him my cape? What in the world are you talking about? What would Superman be if he didn't have his cape? More practical? He'd be a flying Speedo. I mean, come on. We gotta get to heaven and I gotta have this cape so God knows what a super Christian I am. But in the book of James. Okay, well, James, yada yada. Look, be warm, be well fed, but anywhere but here. God bless you, sir. Thank you so much. Come on, we gotta get to heaven. That didn't feel too super. We don't have Galileo. Galileo Figaro. Magnifico! Holy misguided malpractice, super Christian, look. What is it, Bible Girl? No time for pictures. Look. What is it? Oh my goodness, sweet Aunt Petrina's brought a bouquet. What's going on here? Oh, hey, super Christian. We're just being religious. Oh, yeah, we believe Jesus isn't the way. We believe he's our way. So that's why we're combining all, all of our religions to have a more complete spirituality. Okay, back, heathens. Hey, I don't think that's the way this is supposed to be. We should tell them about who Jesus really is. Okay, sure. Let's try this. You know, so Jesus and not you. So, you know, just stop. Super Christian, we can do better than that. Okay, Wait, look, Bible Girl, the there's really no point, okay? We really should just let them do their thing. We'll do our thing. Besides, mingling with outsiders could get us hurt. They look harmless. Sure, that's what they want you to believe to make you want to join them, right? But look, we gotta treat them as religious bug zappers. I mean, one minute, they're nice and approachable, but the next, BAM! You gotta scrape your theology off the wall. Oh, well, we gotta go recruiting anyways. Who wants to be a religious? Yay! Super Christian, we should have done something. We have the truth. Okay. It's our responsibility. Who retired to... and made you captain? Do your job and kick sides. I'll handle the rest. Let's get going. Holy sobbing Superman. That's Superman? Well, no, but I wonder why he's sobbing. Oh. <clears throat> Stand back, Bible Girl. I got this. Excuse me, sir. Who's done this wrong to you? I'll find that villain and show him the meaning of a good Old Testament stoning. Well, not only, but everybody. I've had a hard life, and I just got divorced. And my kids, I don't know how I'm going to pay the bills this month. I at least need someone to talk to. Don't worry, we're here to help you. We will? Yes. Okay, look, there is no super villain to maim here, except for this guy and his own mistakes. Uh, super Christian, he needs to be shown love. He needs support through this hard time. Okay, fair. Look, hold on one second, okay? All right, good news, sir. I just called a preacher I know, and he'll be here soon to help you. Now, if you get your act together in time, you might be able to make it to heaven with us. 
super Christian. I know I have a lot to learn, but aren't we supposed to be helping people? Okay, Bible Girl, that's enough. You do have a lot to learn, but we found a salvation. Now let's go. But Jesus, the same one who gave us salvation, he's, he wants us to share that with others. Look, if we stop to do everything that this book says, we're never going to make it to heaven on time. Now let's get going.
Everyone plays the what if game. What if I want a million dollars? Or what if I went into outer space? Or what if I finally asked out that girl I wanted to all year? All right, here's all you have to say. Should that work? Yeah, positive, just go. All right. Hey, if there are cats falling out of the sky, would you catch me first? Um, get away from me. I don't want people to think I know you. What if you could get her to say yes? All right, go up to her and say this. Did it hurt? Did what hurt? When you fell from heaven, did it hurt? Oh, that's gold. Or try this, are you tired? No, why? Because you've been running through my mind all day. Oh, that's good too. All right, I'm gonna go do it. Hey, are you tired or hurting in my mind from heaven? Or what if you quit listening to your friends for girl advice? Hey, would you like to hang out sometime? Yeah, sure. What if we didn't have anything special about us? What if we were just being bored? I can almost touch my tongue to my nose. <laughs> I can make some mean Kool-Aid. My belly button's an Audi. You know, what if we had great things about us? Like, what if we had superpowers? Yeah, I have the power of being at two places at once. Cool. Yeah, you know the restaurant down in 5th and Main? Yeah. Well, I'm eating some pasta right now, and it is delicious. Wow, that's awesome. <laughs> you know, I just found that I have a superpower too. I have the power to read minds. Wow. Well, can you tell me one thing about right now? Mm-hmm. You're thinking that I can't read minds. Wow, that's right. That's what I was thinking too. So, do you have a superpower? Yeah. Uh, my belly button's an Audi. Some superpowers may be better than others. Now, what if none of this was real? What if this whole, whole Christian thing was just some kind of hoax? What if there is no God? What if there is? What if we're missing out on the greatest possible life? What if I try to share the love of Jesus with people at my school? What if they think I'm a loser? What if I lose my friends? What if no one else tells them? What if you let your fear be more important than you trust in God? What if we quit playing the what if game? What if we let go of all our fears and let God take control of our lives? What if? Good morning. I'm Mary Catherine. And I'm Abby. And welcome to Youth Sunday. Welcome especially to our guests. Fill out a care card that's located in the pew in front of you. And there's also a prayer request for anyone to fill out. Hand these to our staff or put it in one of the boxes on the round table in the lobby. Our next Sewing Hands workshop will take place on Saturday, March 26th from 9.30 a.m. to 1 p.m. in the core activity room. This month, we will be doing a project for Katie Cloys, who is serving on the mission field. We need ladies to help sew, trace, and cut out patterns. If you'd like to donate to this project, we need flannel, towels, these can be dish towels, and medium-sized safety pins. If you have any questions, please contact Pat Connor or Carla Seltzer. My Father's House, a ministry of cooperative Christian ministries, holds a Bible study on Tuesday evenings from 8.30 to 8.15 p.m. for the resident moms. The number of residents is growing, and we are in need of one to two volunteers to watch the toddlers in the playroom while the other volunteers are working with older children. 
If you would like more information or are interested in being a part of this ministry, please contact Jean Sullivan. Calling all drama queens. The good kind, that is. The Women's Ministry event team is looking for several women to help with some upcoming scripted projects. If you have a background in drama and or general interest in the area, please contact Connie Davis. Thank you for supporting Youth Missions through our Golf for Missions tournament. This year, the tournament is April 9th with a shotgun start at 12.30 at the Revival at the Crescent Golf Course in Salisbury. The deadline for the whole sponsorship and teams is April 3rd. Registration forms are at the welcome desk in the lobby or see Kevin Knight for more information. Please save the date for this year's Vacation Bible School, which is going to be July 25th through 28th, and we'll have more information regarding registration to come. And now please welcome Connor Goodman and Claudia DePauli for our scripture reading and prayer. Good morning, church. Please listen to the words from 1 Timothy. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy, when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things, immerse yourself in them, so that all may see your progress. Keep close watch on yourself and on the teaching Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for bringing us all here today on this crisp Sunday morning. Thank you for giving us the opportunity as youths to come and grow up in your word and your way. Please help us not have this be a spectacle or a talent show, but rather an act of worship to you for your glory and for your name's sake. Please open the hearts and minds of those around us, both here and out in public, uh, to your word. And please let us be a good influence on those around us. Thank you for bringing us here today. And in the name of Jesus, amen. Wow. Good morning, church. If you'd please stand with us and worship.
don't know me, I'm Jenna Hardister, and I'm currently a senior in high school. Um, me and my family have been at Pitts for about 15 years, so I've grown up children's uh, ministry and currently am in the youth ministry. Um, last Sunday in Sunday school, my teacher, Miss Allison, shout out to you, Miss Allison, she gave us a note card and a pen and asked us to write down a couple names, people who've had a big impact and influence in our lives. Um, immediately, the first name I thought of was Kevin Knight. Um, and I also wrote down a few other people, but immediately he was the one that came to my mind. When I entered youth in sixth grade, I was naive, immature, not very serious about my faith at all. But through being in youth, I have grown exponentially in my faith in ways that I could have never seen or imagined. Each week um, on Sundays or Wednesdays, um, Kevin encourages us and challenges us in our faith, um, encouraging us to look and seek in deeper ways. Um, he encourages us to serve in the church and look for ways to serve and volunteer in different um, areas of ministry. Um, Kevin is constantly such a big encouragement to so many of our lives. He comes up to you every Sunday, every Wednesday, gives you a high five, hug, fist bump, asks you how you're doing. Um, he's been there in so many different ways in my life. He has come to some of my volleyball games. Um, he's come and seen me at work, and he's just such a big encouragement in my life. Um, and not many churches would encourage their youth to um, do Youth Sunday or allow them to serve in so many different ways. Um, when I began uh, homeschooling as a freshman in high school, I had the opportunity to um, 
serve at a camp that we go to each summer called Snowbird, and it's not something I would have been able to do if I wasn't homeschooled just because how time worked out. Um, Kevin uh, was such a big encouragement through the application process. I asked him so many questions, and he gave me a good reference, I hope. I can't really see what he wrote down, but I think it was a pretty good one. Um, and he, uh, while I was up there, I was just in so much contact with other youth groups and churches and youth pastors, and I realized that we're so lucky in the youth group and in a church we have. A lot of youth groups were going through like voluntary or involuntary changes in their youth pastor positions, and it caused a lot of division in the church. Um, and a lot of the youth groups were either very small because they were starting out, or they were very small because they just a lot of the kids had left. And when you look at our youth group, it's a very large. And just with the amount of outreach that we do every week and how um, Kevin is so committed to making sure that we're there every Wednesday, every Sunday, and we're just very committed, um, it just shows how much he cares about our youth group um, and that he doesn't have a very job, a very good job, and we don't make it much easier for him because you have such a wide range of ages and everyone is going through a different stage in their life. Um, and it's something that you're definitely called to. And I'm just so thankful for Kevin and how he just ministers to us every Sunday and every Wednesday and just encourages us. Um, and I definitely accredit to who I am today because of Kevin and the ministry that I've grown up in in the youth. Um, I consider Kevin not one, like not only my youth pastor, but also one of my closest friends. And I cherish the time that I've spent here in the youth ministry. Thank you. Please stand again and worship with us. All throughout history your faithfulness has walked beside me. The winter storms make way for spring. In every season, from where I'm standing, I see the evidence of your goodness all over my life. All over my life. All over my life. See the cross. 
cross, the empty grave, the evidence is endless. All my sin rolled away because of you, oh Jesus. See the cross, the empty grave, the evidence is endless. All my sin rolled away because of you, oh Jesus.
people do you think we need to interview today? Mm, I don't know. Five or six and we should be good. Okay. I just hate the airport. There's too many people. Look at the time. We need to start interviewing soon. We are live in five, four, three, two, one. Good morning, everyone. I'm Fiona Truce reporting for the PBC News. Today I'm going to interview some travelers who are just about to embark on a very interesting journey. Ah, there they are. Hello there, I'm a reporter for the PVC News, and I was wondering if I could ask you all a question. Where are you all going? We're heading to the heavenly city. To the place where God lives with his people. Full of love and happiness. Where it's reported there's no death. Where there's no pain or suffering. It's a beautiful, joyful, lovely thing. I can't wait to get there. Sounds good, sounds good. What country is this heavenly city in? I don't think I've been there. Oh, this place is quite unlike any ordinary place. Yeah, you have to dive in before you can finally reach it. Oh, that does sound strange. Are there lots of different ways to get there? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Lots, lots, lots of different, different ways. ways. Oh, no, that's not true. God gives us a book that explains the way. Uh, it seems like we have a bit of a difference of opinion here. Makes good TV, you know, when there's a bit of a fight. Okay, perhaps I could speak to you all individually and find out a little bit more of how you planted this amazing place you've all been talking about. Well, madam, you were one of those who said there are lots of ways to get to the heavenly city. Can you tell me how you plan to get there? Sure. I think that as long as I live a good life, don't do anything really wrong, keep my nose clean, and do a bit of volunteer work, then I'm guaranteed entry into the heavenly city. Is that what it says in the book? Oh, no, I don't bother with the book. I believe that if you do enough good things, you can earn your way into the heavenly city. Well, thank you very much for speaking to me. I won't hold you up any longer. All the best in your path of good works. I hope you find your way to the heavenly city. Can you tell me how you're going to get to the heavenly city? Well, I'd say we're pretty spiritual people, you know? I go to yoga classes every week, and I'm really into my horoscopes. Yeah, and I enjoy meditating, emptying my mind, so I guess that's how we'll get there. Is that what it says in the book? Oh, no, we don't really bother much with the book. We believe that all spiritual paths will lead to the heavenly city. Well, thank you very much for speaking to me. All the best in your path of pick and mix spirituality. I hope you find your way to the heavenly city. Can you tell me how you're going to get to the heavenly city? Sure, I'm just going to do what I want to through my life. You know, you only live once. I believe that when I die, God's just going to let me into his heavenly city. It's as simple as that. Is that what it says in the book? Oh, no, I don't bother with the book. I believe that God's loving, so he'll let us all in, whatever we do. Well, thank you for speaking with me. All the best in your path of I'll do it my way. I hope you find your way to the heavenly city. 
Can you tell me how did you get to the heavenly city? Oh, I don't really know. I guess I'll just do it the same way as my friends so we can all get together. Is that what it says in the book? I don't really bother with the book. I just believe what my friends say is true. Well, thank you very much for speaking to me. All the best in your path of I'll follow the crowd. I hope you find your way to the heavenly city. Can you tell me how you get to the heavenly city? Yes, of course. The one who created the heavenly city gave us his book that tells us the truth of how to get there. So we're going to follow its instructions. That sounds very sensible. What is the book called? It's called the Holy Bible. And we believe it has everything we need in it for the journey. Like how it says in Romans 10, 9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Well, all the best in your path of I'll be guided by the book. I have a feeling you'll find your way to the heavenly city. So, some differences of opinion here today. But the big question seems to be, can you make up your own path to the heavenly city, or is the truth in the book? Fiona Truce in Concord, reporting for the PVC News. And that is a wrap. Nice job. Hey, could you tell me more that, about that truth thing? Yeah, I'd love to. Good morning, church. My name is Jacob Brown. I'm a senior at West Cabarrus High School. I will be attending uh, Western Carolina University in the fall, where I plan to double major in criminal justice and emergency and disaster management. This morning, we will be looking at Exodus 3, 1 through 15, and Exodus 4. I will be covering the first half of the scripture, and then Brennan will come up and finish. So I grew up here at Pitts, and somewhere between the uh, preschool department and children's worship with Ms. Jennifer, I remember hearing the story. But the interesting thing is, uh, though the stories in Scripture are familiar, God teaches us something new every time we study it. Uh, I, I imagine the story of Moses is, is familiar to many of you too, so let's get some background before we get started. In the end of the book of Genesis, Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers. Then a great famine took place in the land. Joseph grew in favor with the Pharaoh and was a very respected man. To save his family from the famine, Joseph invited his brothers to live with him in Egypt. Their family prospered there. They were, the, they were the descendants of Jacob, who was also called Israel, and that's why these people were called Israelites. After many years, Joseph and his brothers died, but their family continued to grow. In Exodus 1, we learn that there were so many Israelites that the new Pharaoh saw them as a threat. He saw the growing Israelite population, approximately 120,000, and convinced the Egyptians that the Israelites were going to take over. Pharaoh made a decree that made the Israelites slave to the Egyptian people. Years passed, and the Israelites continued to be mistreated, and their lives were increasingly difficult. Meanwhile, an Israelite family had a new baby boy. It was not great timing, since the Pharaoh had just commanded that all Hebrew boys should be put to death. His mother hid him in their, hid him in their home for a few months, but could no longer keep him hidden. To save, to save the baby, his mother made a plan. With the help of their daughter, Miriam, they placed their son in a reed basket, and Miriam took her baby brother to the bank of the Nile and sent him off. Miriam watched as he floated down the Nile to the place where the Pharaoh's daughter and her friends bathed. There, near the palace, the baby was found and pulled from the water by the princess. Yes, the Pharaoh's daughter. Since the baby still needed someone to care for him, Miriam offered to help the, help the princess find a Hebrew woman to be his nurse. So this child, who was supposed to be killed, became a prince in the Pharaoh's house. And, and he was raised by his Hebrew mom, and the Pharaoh's daughter, who named him Moses, which, by the way, means plucked from water. The story continues in Exodus 2, 
Moses was raised as a prince, from his, and, and from his perspective, he was royalty. From the outside, it seemed, as, it seemed as, if, as if he had the perfect life. In some ways, it sounds like some of us. We have it all. As seniors, we're the big guys on campus. But the, uh, and even, in, even in this room, we have kids who seem to have the cat by the tail. Connor Goodman, he's a, a wrestler who, who plays at the state championship. Trust me, you don't want to be on the mat with him. Abby and MK are competing for top in their class. Brennan is an all-state football player. Connor Ensley can play a guitar like nobody's business. And let's face it, me and Ryan are the life of the party. <laughs> I mean, being a senior is a big deal, but the sad thing is, it doesn't last forever. And we don't know what our futures may hold. College, jobs, military service, and adulting. Change is on the way for us. Moses must have felt a little bit like this, like a crisis of identity was on the way. It is no doubt that early on in Moses' life, he struggled with his identity. You see, he knew his caretakers were his biological mother and sister, who, like him, were Hebrews, the same people that were slaves to his adopted family. Meanwhile, he had money, fame, and all the toys a kid could want. But in reality, he was struggling, he was struggling to find out who he really is. Moses had the same complex as many, as many of the young people today, especially our seniors. We are being faced with a brand new chapter in our lives, all while we're trying to figure out who we really are. But I am thankful because we are centered by the scripture. It tells us who we are, we are God's children, and that's all that really matters. Now let's get back to the story. In Exodus 2, 11 through 14, we see how Moses' life is about to change. Starting in verse 11. One day, after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. Looking this way and that and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. The next day, he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked the one in the wrong, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? The man said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought what I did must have become known. Eventually, the Pharaoh caught wind of what Moses had done and called for him to be killed. Moses escaped the Pharaoh's punishment and fled Egypt, eventually arriving in Midian. When Moses got there, he met a good Jewish girl named Zipporah and eventually married her. He worked as a shepherd for his father-in-law. His father-in-law was Jethro, the priest in that area. Jethro was a man of great wealth. Even, even though Moses is a shepherd, we can see that he really isn't roughing it. He has married into a very well-off family. One day, Moses is out in the field watching the flock, and that is where our text for today begins. Please open your Bibles to Exodus 3 and stand for the reading of God's word. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of that area, uh, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see why the, the, this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, Do not come near. Take your sandals off of your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. 
and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Let us pray. Dear Lord, thank you that we could all come here safely this morning, so that we can spend time in your word. Speak through me this morning, so that your message, so that your message may be told. In your name we pray, amen. You may be seated. So Moses was out in the field guarding, guarding the sheep. His job was to guide the sheep, make sure they found grass to eat, and guard them from dangers that they could not see. He was their protector, guarding them, guarding them from dangers. So my grandparents live on a lake in Rockingham. When me and my sister were younger, my papa would stand on the dock and, and scan for snakes in the water while me, while me and my sister would play. If my papa saw anything, he would whistle. He has the ability to whistle to where he can hear him from anywhere on the lake. Hey, papa, can you whistle for me? <laughs> when Gracie and I heard that, we knew not to ask any questions and to get out of the water. He kept us safe, just as Moses is keeping Jethro's flock safe. So when Moses saw something out of the corner of his eye on fire, it caught his attention. He came closer and realized that there was a bush on fire, but it was not being burned up. And then God calls to him from the burning bush. Guys, this isn't the only instance in which God uses his fire to appear to his people. The idea of God's presence in the form of fire happens in both the New and Old Testament. First, God guides the Israelites through the, Israel, through the wilderness as a pillar of fire in Exodus 13, 21. In Acts 2, 3, the Holy Spirit comes down as tongues of fire during Pentecost. Fire is a powerful element due to its destructive capabilities. But church, fire isn't just destructive. Fire can cleanse and mold. Blacksmiths use a forge to superheat metal to mold it into, into the desired shape. They then use fire again to normalize the metal to get all the weaknesses out of the, out of the sword. So God used fire to speak to Moses. This fire got his attention, drew him in, and is a catalyst for change in Moses' life. Guys, fire strengthens, and that is what we see happening to Moses in this scripture. Did you know that Exodus 3.5 is the first time the word holy is used in scripture? One of, God, one of the characteristics of God is his holiness. God's holiness is revealed in his power and in our weakness. It shows the discrepancies between the creator and the created and the perfect versus the sinful. At the burning bush, God revealed his holiness in a way it had never been revealed before. God's holiness is the fire, and his holiness reveals Moses' pitiful condition. Moses must hide his face from God, shown in verse 6. Romans 3.10 says, There is none righteous, no, not one. Moses' sins separated him from God, but God still saw his worth. We are like Moses in this sense. We are unrighteous and unworthy of God's grace, but he looks past all of, all of our sin because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. When God sees us, he sees Jesus, and that is why he sees us as worthy. In Hebrew, when a word is said twice, it is meant to emphasize the point. For example, in verse 4, God calls out from the bush, Moses, Moses. And again in John 3, 5, when Jesus says, verily, verily. Like most of your parents, when my mom wants to make sure I hear what she's saying, she calls my name. Jacob Daniel. <laughs> and when I hear my middle name, I know she means business. That's what God is saying to Moses. God wants Moses to know that he's meant to be there with him. God didn't say, hey, you, come over here. He said, Moses, I know who you are. Come here. I have a plan for you. 
Then God commands Moses to take off his shoes because he's standing on holy ground. Moses must remove his sandals because they are filthy. Obviously, this is a symbol of his sin. But what if taking off his shoes was something more? When you visit a friend's house, they may say, take off your shoes and stay a while. God wanted Moses to take off his shoes to stay right where he was and to be in the same place with him. God, in his holiness, wanted Moses to come closer to spend time with him. The great American evangelist, D.L. Moody, describes Moses' life in three points. The first 40 years, he thought he was somebody. The second 40 years, he learned he was a nobody. And in his last 40 years, he discovered what God can do with a nobody. We have focused on the first two of Moody's points, but let's now focus on the third. God placed key attributes in Moses' character to make, to make him the, the man that God could use. The first of these attributes is obedience. In verses 4 through 5, the Lord calls to Moses. Moses answers the call, and when he is commanded to remove his sandals, he does so without hesitation. Reading this part of the scripture reminded me of when I was a kid and would come, down, come home from playing in the neighborhood. As soon as I opened the door, my mom would say, Son, take off those filthy shoes before you track mud through this house. This is a lesser example of the interaction between Moses and God. Moses is commanded to take off his shoes because they are filthy and he is on holy ground. Moses realizes where he is and in respect for God, he follows the Lord's commands. His obedience to God's commands gives him the tools that he needs to free the, Egyptian to free the Israelite people. In his obedience, God was working through him. Alone, Moses could not do what the Lord commanded him to do, since he is just a man. But, anything the, uh, but God was working through him. Everything that the Lord wants to happen will happen, and with Moses having the Lord working through him, he cannot fail. Secondly, we see that Moses develops respect for God, shown in verse 6. We see that Moses hides his face from God because he is afraid. Acts 7.32 gives another look into this interaction. It reads, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, and of Isaac, and of Jacob. And Moses trembled and did not dare to look. The fear that we see from Moses is not the kind of fear that I, has a, that I had as a kid in the church offices. Mom used to work at the church, and I would uh, come with her onto campus. Back then, Kevin Seeger would, hi would hide behind the door and wait for me to walk down the hallway to scare me half to death. Like, literally, I would fall off of my feet. That made the church offices terrifying. Nor is it the same kind of fear as when I would get in trouble and, and would hear my mom say the words, wait till your dad gets home. <laughs> Moses didn't feel the same fear as eight-year-old Jacob when I heard my dad's belt pass through the loops. It was more like the kind of fear that comes from knowing I had done something to disappoint my dad. Moses' fear of the Lord was that kind of fear. Moses felt respect for God, respect for his power and his glory. Some call it reverence. It's the kind of deep fear or deep respect that makes, you stand in awe, that makes you stand in awe of him. We can get a closer look into this type of reverence in Revelation 4, 8. It reads, And the four living creatures, each one of them having six wings, are full of eyes around and within. And day and night they do not cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. These creatures shown in Revelation are powerful and strike fear into the demons of hell. Yet they still call out to God, showing respect for his power and his glory. God told Moses that he saw what the Israelites were going through, building bricks without straw, laboring for long hours in the sun, and being beaten for the smallest error. In their weakness, God heard their cries for help, and God was going to use Moses to rescue them. Moses, the poor little Hebrew boy, the child who was an adopted prince who thought he was somebody, 
Moses, the guy who had it all and lost it, the guy who ran away from, from the Pharaoh's home after killing someone, the guy who was working as a shepherd for his father-in-law, the keeper of sheep who had become a nobody. But like Dr. Moody said, Moses was about to figure out what God can do with a nobody. Moses was changed during this interaction with God. We see Moses change from a shepherd into somebody that God can use to free his people. He becomes this man by being molded by God's holiness and refined by God's power. Moses was to go to Pharaoh and to tell him to let my people go. Moses was going to be responsible for delivering God's people out of Egypt into a land that he had promised them. This shepherd was going to guide God's people, his sheep, out of Egypt into the promised land. So like Moses, we're slaves. We're slaves to our sin. But we have a God who calls us into his presence wherever we are. And if we listen, he changes our course and brings purpose to our lives. His purpose. The same God who met Moses at the burning bush has the power today to tell us who we're going to be and to break our chains and free us from bondage to our sin. And he brings us in, into his presence through his son Jesus, who died on the cross for our sins. Is he calling to you this morning? He has a plan for all of us. So answer the call. And now Brennan will come up and finish the scripture. Good morning. My name is Brennan Jones. I'll be picking up where Jacob left off with the idea that Jesus empowers us. I'll be reading from Exodus 3, 11 through 10, and Exodus 4, 10 through 17. While you take a minute to find that in your Bible, I'll tell you a little bit about myself. I'm a senior at Mount Pleasant High School, and I'm very involved in sports and FCA. FCA is Fellowship of Christian Athletes, so it gives kids that are involved in athletics at school uh, the opportunity to spread the gospel at school. However, some of you might know me better from seeing me run around trying to keep up with Robbie Jones, my dad, because if any of you know anything about him, he's the fastest walker on the face of this earth, and you're never going to keep up with him in an airport. Recently, I committed to Mars Hill University to play football, and I plan to study integrated health sciences in hopes of becoming a physical therapist. Now let's look at Exodus 3 and begin reading. I'll begin in verse 10. Come, oh wait, or I mean in verse 11. <laughs> but Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you when you have brought the people out of Egypt. You shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, if I, come to the people, if I come to Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask of me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel. The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Now let's look at Exodus 4, beginning in verse 10. But Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or sing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth, and teach you what you shall speak. But he said, O oh my Lord, please send someone else. 
Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And he said, Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you, and when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people, and shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him. And take in your hand this staff, in which you shall do these signs. Jacob ended about talking about how we have power in Jesus. In verse 11, Moses responds to God, who just told him of his plan to free the Israelites, saying, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Notice Moses asks, Who am I? Moses, being human, he felt unfit and unworthy to do this task that he'd been given by God. He thought he might have needed more courage or skill or maybe even be a better leader to do this, but that wasn't the case. Let's look in verse 12. God says, But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Moses being physically or skillfully unfit didn't mean he was not going to be used. He wanted to know what qualified him to do this task. He wanted to know why he was the bravest, why he was the strongest, why was he the one that God chose. That's the thing, though. God's not going to wait for you to feel qualified. God instead responds with this answer. He says, but I will be with you. Think of Paul, I think of Paul writing to the Roman church in Romans 8. He says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? God is our source of strength, and he will empower us as we seek out his will for us. We know this from 2 Timothy 1.7, that the Holy Spirit provides us with this power. When God sent his son Jesus to the cross to die for us, it was not so that we would be hesitant about our calling. In that moment, Jesus didn't care about how unfit we were. He just saw that we were totally hopeless and had no hope in anything else. See, when we recognize that sacrifice and we accept that is when the Holy Spirit enters our hearts, empowering, the do, to, empowering us to do the things that we would otherwise have no strength in doing. This is exactly what's happening with Moses in verse 12. Moses being just a man is not actually worthy enough to do this task given by God, but God found him righteous or worthy enough to do the task. Even though he might have not been the strongest or the bravest or the best man for the job, he was the man God chose. He was empowered by God to follow through with the task. Church, we are empowered by the, from the second that Jesus saves us. We receive the same power that Moses received when he freed the Israelites. God empowers us just like he did Moses to follow through with his will, and his will will ultimately glorify him. This leads me to my first point today. Be courageous, because there will always be power in the name of God. I'll say that one more time. Be courageous, because there will always be power in the name of God. Let's look back at verses 13 through 15. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. I just want to paint this picture for y'all, so I thought of a time when I was younger and someone's name held power. When I was younger, me and my brothers, we loved to play video games. We would we would get home from school, we'd get home from the store, whatever it might have been, and we would go straight upstairs to try to play video games. 
Now, this caused issues, though, because there's three of us, and there was one gaming system, so we began to fight over it. See, because we'd fight, mom, being the wonderful mom she is, had to make rules, so <laughs> she did just that. Now we would have to uh, take about one-hour rotations playing the game. Now, what this meant, though, is that since there's three of us, I'd have to wait two hours to play the game, which, for little Brennan, that was just an awfully long time. So when that two hours was about up, I'd be upstairs and I would be ready to play that game. So whether Barrett or Baden was playing, I'd go up there, and that time would tick down to zero, and I'd be like, Barrett, it's my turn to play. And every single time, Barrett would say, who said? And I, I had the best answer for that, though, because every time he'd ask that, I'd go, Dad said. See, when Dad said something, that means you did it. There was no more playing around. Similarly, when God told Moses, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you, that immediately sur surpassed the power that any king or pharaoh or leader's name bore. It wasn't like me telling Barrett it was my turn to play. It was like Dad telling Barrett it was my turn to play. See, I'd be able to go upstairs and know for a fact that with dad on my side, Barrett or Baden would have to respond to that power. But can't we have courage in that? We know that wherever we go and whatever path we're on, God's on our side and his name holds that power. The same God who spoke to Moses through a burning bush can speak to you. The same God who spoke all of creation into existence is with you. Listen to 1 Chronicles 29.11. It says, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. His authority isn't just over Christians who believe that he walked this earth, died, and was resurrected on the third day. No, his authority is over everyone and everything. See, whatever might rise up against us or whoever might rise up against us, we have power over that because God is greater than that. Look at God's response to Moses in verses 20 through 21. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all of the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty. God verbally assured Moses that everything was going to work out as planned. He was, he was physically telling him that. But like us, Moses doubted. See, even though God was telling him that, he still lacked courage. Do y'all know what courage is defined as? Courage is defined as the ability to do something that frightens one. Y'all, Moses was scared, probably as scared as I am right now. See? He was trying to come up with every excuse he could so that he would not have to go into Egypt and face Pharaoh. Look in chapter 4, verse 10. Moses says, Oh, my Lord, I'm not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant. But I am slow of speech and of tongue. Moses is being scared. He's coming up with excuses as to why he should not have to go into Egypt and face Pharaoh. He thinks maybe since he can't speak very well, he should get a pass. He's not taking courage in the fact that the God who holds all authority is on his side. When God is directing us down a certain path, uh, be courageous. Know that God has authority over the situation, and God sees the end of it. We can only see what's been revealed to us. Trust God's plan and take courage in the fact that he, it will work out just as he intends it to. There's a th second thing I'd like y'all to see today, but first, let's go back to Exodus 4, 11 through 13. It picks up from Moses telling God that he's not good at speaking. Then the Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth? Who has made him mute 
or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. But he said, O my Lord, please send someone else. If you want to see God working in your life, you must first be obedient. If you want to see God working in your life, you must first be obedient. Moses was trying his best to avoid doing what was asked of him. He was putting off God's plan. Moses thought that his excuses might have been good enough to get a pass. It's kind of like me writing my English papers in my college course. I'll make every excuse under the sun so that I will not have to write that paper. I almost always wait until the last few days to do it, and sometimes I'll even open up the assignment, read what the assignment is, and call it a day. See, papers don't write themselves, though. Until I'm actually obedient and follow through with the assignment, there will be no progress. Most of the time, I spend more energy actually avoiding it than I do writing the paper itself. See, Moses was too focused on the inconvenience that freeing the Israelites would be. He worried about his weaknesses and then tried to justify them as excuses as to why he shouldn't have to lead the people out of Egypt. The people of Israel weren't going to be any more free until Moses was obedient. He had to be obedient for there to be progress. None of this was made known to him until he did the work of God, though. You have to obey God if you ever want to see his will carried out in your life. Obey God, read his word, and get to know him. The more you understand who God is, the more you will understand what he wants for you. If you haven't already, begin to pray, begin to read, and begin to worship. James 4, 8, it starts by saying, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. God is always there, and he is going to make himself known if you seek him. In Jeremiah 29, Jeremiah writes a letter to the Jewish exiles saying, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to welfare and not, to, plans to welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Seek God and you will find him. When you find him, be obedient and listen to him. He will direct you where he wants you to be, and when you are where God wants you to be, he can use you in ways that we could never imagine. Don't be like Moses and try to deny God's purpose for you. Be obedient. Now, let's go back to Exodus 4, 14 through 17, for the third and final point today. Starting in verse 14. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And he said, Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you, and when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him. And take in your hand the staff with which you shall do these signs. The point is, accept that God will use you except that God will use you. We just saw how Moses tried to avoid God telling him that he was going to go into Egypt. He could have tried to fight God all day on it, but it does not change the fact that what God wanted to happen was going to happen. I think sometimes that we forget, we forget that God can use us in big and small ways. We like to sit back and think that we're second string, like there's plenty of pastors, there's plenty of missionaries out there to do the work of God, right? Like I don't have to do much. That's not how it works though. From the second we accept the hope that Jesus gave us the whole, and the Holy Spirit enters our hearts, we are off the bench. Everyone who truly has God in their heart is first string. He already has his plan for you. I have one more story that I think goes pretty well with accepting. 
That being said, most of you know that here at the church we have a men's basketball league. I started playing in the league when I was 16, and I played on my dad's team, but I always wanted some of my friends to play with me. One friend specifically, Connor Goodman. I would try to get him to play every year, but he had to wrestle, understandably, and so uh, he, he couldn't play until this year. But now that he is playing and he's on my team, I decided to give him a little bit of advice. I said, hey, listen, it's, it's a men's league and it gets competitive, but at the end of the day, it's, it's just a, a church league and don't just shoot around, be loose, okay? And I told him that going into week one and we began to play in week one. So Connor gets in the game and he runs up and down the court a couple times and doesn't really do anything. Like he doesn't shoot, just plays a little bit of defense. So I go to him after the game, I'm like, I'm like, hey, you can, you can be loose, you can just play. See, I don't think he'd accepted the fact that he could just, you know, be loose and play. Well, I told him that, and I told him to shoot, and week two came around. Well, I'm dribbling the ball in the left corner, and I see Connor standing at the top of the key, and I pass it to him. Now, when I pass it to him, he backs up to about half court. Now, I know I told him to shoot, but I didn't expect him to listen standing at half court. Connor shot the ball, and I kind of looked at it thinking, what in the world was that? But I was happy he shot. When Connor accepted that the team could use him, he was more effective than his week one performance. God is going to use you. If you accept that, you will see the results of it. Now, if you don't acknowledge that God's going to use you, like, Connor, like week one of Connor playing, it's not going to be smooth sailing. He was in the game, yet totally ineffective. When reading Exodus, Moses was in the game all along. But until he accepted that what God was telling him was going to happen, there was no productivity. Accept that God is going to use you. So far, we've looked at three characteristics in Moses' life where he either succeeded or failed. Courage, obedience, and acceptance. Let that remind us that in our lives, there's going to be obstacles that try to keep us from remaining faithful to God. Yet there is a bigger picture this morning that we need to look at. After Moses spoke with God and accepted that he would uh, be sent into Egypt, there was much more to come that he did not see. In Exodus 7 all the way through Exodus 10, there were plagues sent out against all of Egypt. The Nile was turned into blood. Locusts were sent all throughout the land. And hail and thunder was released across the whole nation. However, in between every plague that God put Egypt through, Pharaoh's heart was hardened by God and he refused to let the Israelites go. Moses continuously returned to Pharaoh and he would plead with him to let the people go, but it would not happen. Think about how much God was testing Moses' courage that he had in him, even how faithful he'd have to remain in this process. This is just one example of the trials he had to face. Then we see the people of Israel being freed from the land of Egypt in Exodus chapter 12, verse 51. It says, And on that very day, the Lord brought the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt by their hosts. The people were let out of Egypt by Pharaoh, and although that might have seemed like the end of it, it wasn't. In Exodus 14, Pharaoh changes his mind, and he regrets his decision to let the Israelites go. He begins to chase them. Verse 9 says, The Egyptians pursued them, all of Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army. As if dealing with Pharaoh wasn't enough, now he's running from Pharaoh's army, and he's cornered by the Red Sea. This might have seemed like the end of it, but God had a plan. God commanded Moses to stretch out his hand, and the sea was split. See, God was going to deliver the Israelites from Egypt, and he did just that. I'd like to wrap up things by focusing on what I really want y'all to see today. 
notice that this story in Exodus is a clear depiction of our deliverance from sin. You see, in this story, we are the Israelites who deserve nothing to, who deserve freedom, who did not deserve freedom from the power that imprisoned us. We were lost and hopeless, but we were delivered. Just like Moses delivering the Israelites, we, Jesus delivers us from our bondage to sin. Jesus didn't lack courage or failed to obey. He did everything perfectly. In this story, Jesus is the better Moses. While Moses failed to be courageous uh, with God on his side, Jesus displayed the ultimate act of courage. Luke twenty-two forty-two. it says, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus was courageous enough to endure the cross, knowing that there was no other option for us. While Moses was not immediately obedient, he, tr he tried to work around his situation. Jesus displayed the perfect example of obedience, obedience to the cross. John 19.30, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished, and he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. God's plan was for Jesus to live a perfect life and die on the cross as a perfect sacrifice, and he did just that. There is no catch. He did what the Father asked him to. While Moses struggled to accept that God would use him, Jesus paid the way so that we can accept his deliverance. 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus dying on the cross and being resurrected on the third day allows God to see us as righteous. The resurrection of Jesus Christ allows us to be accepted by God so that one day we can be in his presence rejoicing. Jesus delivered us from our sin. We can be accepted by God and pursue him with courage through obedience. I'm sure that there are some here today that need that deliverance offered by Jesus. I'll pray and Pastor Scott will come up to close the service. But first, I ask one final question. Are you the one who needs to be delivered? Let's pray. God, thank you so much for sending your son Jesus so that we could be delivered from sin. Apart from his sacrifice, we have zero hope. Thank you for the story of Moses this morning so that we could be given an example of courage, obedience, and acceptance. I ask that the, for the one this morning who's struggling with an addiction or whatever it may be, we, they would be delivered and brought into your light. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.